Good evening, everyone, and welcome now to Losses Above Replacement, a new name here for this new show here. I am your host, Alex Clark here, joined today by the always appreciated, never depreciated, Matthias Alman Kurosaki and Ryan Splash Potts, my main men, the start of a new era for our show. How are we doing on this being recorded on Tuesday afternoon? Um, I was actually disappointed in you, Alex. I wanted to be a member of the Jamarcus Russell fan club today, um, but, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm up at my grandmother's for Thanksgiving. I'm in a, a bit of a jovial mood, I think, which is good. Um, I am finally wearing my Braves hats again. It took me about a month, but you know, I'm back to just wearing it like normal. Um, so go Braves and hopefully they re-sign Dansby Swanson. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's first of all, it's exciting to uh, begin this new era. Uh, you know, we, we've been doing this for a few years now. So, uh, yeah, a bit, bit of a change up now. Uh, I'm doing pretty well myself. Uh, I went and saw uh, a bit, big weekend for my former college teams. I went and saw my my old squad, the TCNJ Lions, swim down at NYU on Saturday. And then yesterday at the Barclays Center, I saw my Syracuse Orange win in overtime in basketball against Richmond. So that that's been fun. Uh, I want the Mets to do something, but other than that, I'm do- I'm doing pretty well. It wasn't too cold today. I don't like cold weather, but yeah, we're we're chilling. My sister comes to town for Thanksgiving tomorrow night, so I'm looking forward to that also. Splash, I know that you want to be part of the Jamarcus Russell uh, Appreciation Society, but I think we would probably just rather it said be the leaders of the Jamarcus Russell Weight Watchers Society. But anyway, as we get ready to go along with everything, we're going to bring it back to baseball here as we're starting out the very first segment of Losses Above Replacement, talking not just about the best in the game, but the best around, not just the best in the league, the best of all baseball right now, the all MLB teams. The voting actually closes in about nine minutes from when we are recording this. We've all submitted our ballots. We want to talk a little bit about who we would put in this position. We have, again, one for catcher, first base, second base, short shortstop, third base, three outfield spots, five starting pitchers, and two relievers. So we just kind of wanted to go along. What would our picks be when the official announcements uh, for it get announced we will bring that to you as well as the announcement of that will be on monday december 5th on mlb network but we'll start with the catcher position get right on into we'll start with catcher and then move down from there i know two of us have the same answer splash as the one that does not have the same answer is mac and i talk to us a little bit about real muto um, so actually, uh, going to pull the curtains back on our, for our listeners, one of our names we were thinking of was just calling ourselves the big Dumber fan club in honor of, uh, Seattle Mariners legend. We can say that unironically, uh, Cal yep, Rally. 100%, yep. however, um, we decided to reserve that for Alex's propaganda that he will spew, uh, in the coming months. So any Mariners content will be filed under the big Dumper fan club name. Um, but for the best catcher in baseball this season, as much as I wanted to choose Adley Rutschman, I do think it is JT Real Muto. And with all due respect to Cal Raleigh, uh, Real Muto did win a gold glove this year, had an excellent season in all facets. He, in many ways, is the most well-rounded catcher in baseball and one of the most well-rounded catchers in league history, stealing bases, throwing out, throwing guys out on the base pass, being a menace defensively, hitting for power, hitting for average. He just checks off all the boxes. 
and he is probably the best catcher in baseball. I do think Adley will catch him hopefully in 2023, if not sooner. Um, but seller season, he was perhaps the NL MVP after June 1st. So great season for Real Muto, of course, pushing the Phillies into the playoffs and then deep into the playoffs. So congratulations to JT. I need to I need to put a halt on you real quick. Splash, as you said, the spewing of my of my Mariner propaganda. No, it is the spreading of the good word of the Mariners. All right, it's the spreading of what should be. I just want to clarify that from you non-believers out there. <laughs> Try to not sound as culty as I can. I mean, <laughs> okay. I mean, I, yeah. I will I will immediately sound very culty as we get to both mine and Max pick for catcher though. Yeah. I will say before I elaborate on mine, uh, JT Real Muto, um, as a as a fan of an NL East team, uh, I wish he wasn't on the Phillies. Uh, and I really, really, in retrospect, I really wish the Mets had just. I know I, I I I'm not a fan of revisionist history, but I really wish the Mets just gave him the money. Uh, with all due respect to James McCann, uh, I was a little. I, I wasn't thrilled, first of all, by giving McCann a four-year contract and then seeing what Real Muto has done on a five-year deal worth $115 million, I think he's honestly been worth more than $115 million. Uh, so, man, I if I could go back in time and redo one thing in the Steve Cohen era, it'd be signing Real Muto instead of McCann because that's been just – that spot offensively has been a black hole for the Mets these past two years. So, but – uh, as Alex alluded to, and as Flash alluded to, my pick is Cal Raleigh. Um, he led all catchers in home runs with 27. He's a switch hitter, also, which I'm a fan of. Uh, also, you got to remember that this guy, this is a guy who got sent to the minors at the beginning of the year, and when he came back, he looked like a completely different player. Uh, when Tom Murphy got hurt, uh, Cal took over that starting catcher spot and ran with it. Really, really impressive, honestly one of the big reasons why the Mariners were able to uh, end that playoff drought was because of his play. He was, the, the pitchers were much better with him behind the plate. He also improved his defense significantly. He was a finalist for the gold glove award and he was, a, he was very close to winning a silver slugger award in the AL. I honestly think he should have gotten it. So his, his war was, I believe 4.2 this year, which for not a full season, that's very good. So, I'm looking forward to what he can do next year, too. I think he's going to take another big step forward, maybe hit over 30 homers. So I have him, you know, it's close between him and Real Muto, but I'm going to give it to Cal mainly because of the homers. So I think, you know, a couple of his raw power with his defense, and I, I give it to him. I'm on the same side here as Mac, and it's not just because of the fact that I am president of the Cal Raleigh fan, uh, Appreciation Society fan club, all that fun stuff. But no, it's I look at his play, and there's one thing that you touched on a bit there, Mac, that is the reason why I truly give it to him. It's not the power, because the power is a very, very big bonus, mind you. But watching his mentality behind the dish is incredible. But I would argue that mentality is like is the most important. Not being a catcher, one of the most important things is mentality. Being able to have a steady, as I say, way to work with all different kinds of pitchers. Being able to lead each and every one of them, and that's exactly what Cal did. He took people that were Cy Young Award winners and rookies and made them both better on the mound. 
That's how good of a guy this he is. And yes, Romuto is an incredible catcher. Great defensively, great offensively. Right now, I think I would take Cal, again, a switch hitting power bat. One that also hit one of the most important home runs in Seattle Mariners history in ending the 21 drought with a mammoth shot off the hit of here cafe. Look, I think both are very well deserving. I'm taking Cal because he has that mentality that can make anyone better. He's a leader. And that's what I love watching about him. We want to move on. Let's move on. Or do you want to say something? Flash, go for it. Okay. We're going to go ahead. You're good then. All right. We're going to move on then over to first base here. I'll I'll start this one off here. I'm going to talk about it for my pick. It's Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt had an incredible year. An incredible year. Batting 317, 35 home runs, 115 RBIs. He's he's the best player in the National League. How is he not going to be the best first baseman in baseball? I'm giving it to Goldschmidt. To me, it's really not even close. An OPS of 982 on top of all that. When you're when you have an OPS of nearly a thousand, you're already like you're not even just best at your position. You're in conversation for best in the entire league. And Paul proved that with arguably probably the best year of his career. Yeah, I don't I don't think this one's particularly close. As much as I want to say Pete Alonso, it is definitely not Pete Alonso. Uh, Goldschmidt won National League MVP for a reason. And I'm really happy that he finally gets his National League MVP. He's like, we've been talking about him for years as like a runner-up or a third place or top five. But he finally gets his MVP and yeah, he was fantastic. He led the National League in OPS. Uh, you know, it's very difficult for a first baseman to have a, a near eight-war season, and he did that. While I think Freddie Freeman and Pete Alonso and, um, you know, there are a couple other good good nominees, but Goldschmidt by, by far is the best one. <clears throat> I hate muting and unmuting on Zoom, but – yeah, Goldschmidt had a, a stellar season, was threatening for the Triple Crown for a lot of the year. He, of course, didn't end up winning the Triple Crown, which would have been insane if we had a year with dueling Triple triple Crowns, potentially with Judge Goldschmidt. But just sort of wire to wire with Goldie, um, he did slump a little bit, quote unquote, at the end of the season. And of course, the Cardinals crashed out of the playoffs, but definitely deserving NL MVP and a guy who got off to a hot start and continued May, June, July, August, September, just continued to rake, continued to have that OPS around a thousand, continued to have that OPS plus over 180. And he had a historically great season for a first baseman, one of the best seasons ever by a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. This is a team that hasn't finished last place in the National League since World War One. So um Great season by a great player. Happy that he finally climbed the mountain. And, of course, he's my pick for the all-MLB team first baseman. Yeah, this is one that was really not that close overall. It was kind of a runaway, especially when you take a look at some of the other OPSs. The next, uh, we're going to talk about second base, and this is another one that I very much begrudgingly had to write this man's name on my paper here. But, guys... Who do you guys have for second base? I'll say mine last. So I, I'm going – all right, I'll be the homer here. I picked Jeff McNeil. Uh, and, uh, of course, Splash gives me the thumbs down. All right, you clown. Uh, okay, so and, and hear me out here, which is that the only reason I'm voting for McNeil here is that there isn't a utility man spot. 
if it was, there was a spot for utility, I would have gone Altuve at second and McNeil at the utility man. But I feel like I can't just overlook what Jeff McNeil did this year. I mean, this is a guy that I feel like half the Mets fan base wanted to trade him because he had one bad year last year. And this year he got back to doing what he does best. You know, instead of trying to hit home runs, he just focused on getting base hits and he won a batting title, just the second Met ever to win that. Plus, he was a pretty solid defender at second base. And, you know, it's crazy because uh, at one point after the All-Star break, his batting average was down to 287. He still ended up at 326. He's one of the best, I think, uh, one of the best contact hitters in the sport. So I give it to McNeil. I know it's a bit of a homer pick, but I, w- I wanted to honor him in some way. So while I understand your pick of McNeil, and I think McNeil's a great player, I do think this highlights one of the issues with any award in sports that restricts position. Some years, there are positions that are better than other years. So we're going to get into third baseman in a little bit. But this is a year that I think there were three second basemen that stood out above the rest with Jose Altuve, Andres Jimenez, and Jeff McNeil. And I think McNeil... I don't want to say loses credibility, but isn't he gets almost disqualified in a way because he was playing right field and he was kind of all over the place with the Mets playing third base, playing, you know, just filling in wherever necessary, because that's just how good of a player he is. Sort of like a Ben Zobrist on the Rays when they went to the World Series and had many, many good years under Joe Madden. So McNeil had a great season, but. If I'm looking at second baseman, I think the clear cream of the crop here was Jose Altuve. He had a 160 OPS plus this season as a second baseman. That is just just not something you do. 28 home runs, 18 steals. He batted 300 in his own right. His on-base percentage was right there with the Jeff McNeil, even better than Jeff McNeil. And then the power you get out of a second baseman, he slugged 533 for comparison. That's better than Shohei Otani, better than Jose Ramirez, better than Julio Rodriguez, who's very good at baseball. No, better than Rafi Devers. He better than Tucker, better than Guerrero, better than Abreu, better than all these guys. He had a phenomenal season. You throw on a World Series ring that, I don't know if people count the playoffs for this, but we're voting after the playoffs, so... Who knows? Jose Altuve was the best second baseman in baseball this year. I hate to admit it, but you're right, Splash. Jose Altuve is the best second baseman in baseball. And I appreciate your argument, Mac, because you touched on a lot of good points on it. And honestly, listening to you, I thought about changing my vote. But I just look at what Altuve has done this year. At 920 OPS, at batting at even 300. 28 home runs is something that's really hard to get leading. I believe leading uh, second baseman on it as well. 57 RBIs, 18 stolen bases even. I mean, this there's nothing this guy can't do at the dish. He is an absolute menace at the plate. I mean that in the best possible way. He is hard to get out. He is one that puts the ball in play. And when he gets the ball in play, he makes things happen. So I got to give it to Altuve for this one. Moving on now to the shortstop position here. And this is one where I feel like we may get a few different answers, but we shall see uh, on this one. Mac, how about you start off on this one? Who do you have for shortstop? I feel like this is another one of those positions where there there are a lot of good candidates. Whether you, the, the hard part is, you know, when you look at the ballot, they present the offensive stats. What they might not show you is, you know, the – 
you know, the defense, the wins above replacement, the speed. I uh, this this is a tough one because you know you could go with you know, Trey Turner, you could go with Dansby Swanson, uh, you could go with Francisco Lindor. Uh, so, and call me a homer again here, but I am going with Lindor um, mainly. And it, I, I'm feel, thinking, you know, sort of along the same lines as McNeil is that this is another guy where I feel like a lot of people gave up on him because of what happened in 2021, where he had a down year. It felt like he was pressing a little bit, but this year he was just a, he was a great all around hitter. Uh, he he rebounded with 26 homers, a career high 107 RBIs, which uh, those are both franchise records for Mets shortstops. Uh, plus, he stole 16 bases and played very good defense. By Fangraph's war, he was the most valuable shortstop uh, in the majors. So I'm going to give it to Lindor. Uh, I'm not going to say he was the best offensive shortstop. I think when you put all of the tools together, he was the best. I think the best offensive shortstop, it, it, it's kind of a toss-up. But I, I'm, give, I'm giving it to Lindor. Yeah, this is another really close one. And um, if you're not keen to some defensive metrics or if you apply more of a, a general rule with the defensive metrics, so say, for example, Dansy Swanson is first now it's above average. If you just take that to mean he's a good defensive player, not the best defensive player, um, sorts of liberties like that can also sway you one way or the other. But with that said, I think I will go with Dansby Swanson here. Um, he was elite with the glove. He led outs above average um, by a baseball savant, which I do think is the best marker of <clears throat> marker for defense. Um, had 5.7 baseball reference war, which edged out Trey Turner, edged out Francisco Lindor in the National League. Um, and he was a key reason why the Braves, you know, stayed afloat early in the season. They weren't like 18 and 32 or something horrendous at the end of May. They were only a couple games below 500 as opposed to way, way down in the depths. And, you know, just great defense day in and day out. Um, and he extended, started extending the lineup. He had a really weird strikeout streak early in the season, but after mid mid April, um, he turned it on. It was a very good hitter. The rest of the way struggled a little bit at the end of September, but he was a key number two hitter, number one hitter when Acuna was out with injury. Um, stellar with the glove, uh, stole 18 bases, hit 25 home runs, had 99 runs scored, which is right there with Lindor and Turner. Um, and he 277 batting average, 447 slugging, which is impressive from a from a shortstop. And he played every game. And if that's something you value and you get every inning essentially out of Dansby, it's outside of a couple innings against Miami, he gave you just about every inning you could possibly have in a season that the Braves needed every single win, all 100 wins to win the division. And I think that's valuable. So I'm rolling with Dansby Swanson. This is one thing that's interesting, just because it does. Everyone is going to put in a different answer for this one. Um, I really value offense, especially from the shortstop position. I, yes, I think that having good defense is a very good thing to have. I mean, obviously, we have JP Crawford. Um, see, listen to you guys. I really am going back on, uh, back and forth about who I picked, and at this point, I'm just going to end up going with who I put on the belt, and that is going to be Xander Bogarts. 
Look at Xander what he did offensively. He was the only shortstop of the like top eight shown that had a batting average of above 300 and 833 OPS for him as well. And an OPS plus this season of 131, which is the third highest of his career. Only two years before that were 2018 and 2019, where he finished as a top 13 MVP candidate in both of those years. This year, even he finished in the top nine in MVP voting. So honestly, on this one, yes, the defense is not quite there for him. Yes, the defense is something that you really don't like from Xander Bogarts, but he plays it at least decently enough to where you don't think that if a ball is generally hit in his direction, you're just in trouble. You're just a problem. Like, yes, he's not great, but he's going to make the routine stuff. But at the bat is anything but routine. Watching him hit the ball, it just explodes right off the bat. A batting average of 307 is huge, especially for a guy that also hit 15 home runs and had, what, slugging percentage of 456? Like, that's not bad. That's not bad at all um, at that point. And you know, on top of it, even his OPS is lower than what it's been in the last, what? It's lower than it's been since 2017. So you know what? I think that even with all that, he has done a fantastic job. Uh, he's my vote for shortstop. Moving on now over to the third base position here. Uh, Splash, how about you start us off here with who you have at third? Man, this is a weird one um if you were to say pick the nine best players in baseball or pick the 15 best players in baseball this year and you did the all mlb team um positionless i would i would bet a sizable amount of money that all three of us would have at least two if not three or four third basemen because that's just how good the position is it's a position that you know austin riley had a really good year and he's, he might be fifth or sixth on that list, right? You have Jose Ramirez, Rafi Devers, Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado. You know, these great players all seemingly had these great seasons. But I think, um, you know, piggybacking with my point that I made about Swanson, importance to a team can matter here. And I think Manny Machado deserves the spot here. He was put in a difficult situation with San Diego. And you think, oh, well, San Diego is going to have Tatis coming into the year. They're really good, yada, yada, yada. And then Tatis plays zero of 162 games, let alone one. He plays zero. And Machado in Petco Park, by the way, not a hitter's paradise, has a monster offensive season, has one of the best seasons of his career, if not the best from a, a carrying the franchise. You know, if this is... Face of the franchise, Manny Machado checked off every box imaginable. 32 home runs, 898 OPS, again, at Petco Park. So it's not like he's getting, he's he's not getting helped there. Um, 298 batting average, 366 on base, really good defense per usual. And, you know, if you had any reservations about Manny Machado being a star player, this is a year that he said, I'm a star. I'm him. I'm a top 10 player in baseball. I might be the best third baseman in baseball. And Machado was integral in a San Diego team that clawed its way into the playoffs, ended up beating, um, beating the Mets, beating the, um, beating the Dodgers and winning a game in the NLCS for the first time in, you know, decades and just a stellar season. He, he kept a really good team afloat without Machado it's like the judge argument with the Yankees without Machado. What are the Padres doing with a guy like Arenado? Great season, but you, you know, you're coupling that with 
hey, the other guy, the other corner of the infield just had an insane season too. So like Machado, I think, really carried carried a, a playoff team. Yeah, it's tough here because, you know, you have Machado who got second in NL MVP, MVP voting and you have Arenado who was third. And they, they both were fantastic. I mean, Arenado, 7.9 war is – it's uh, it led all position players in the National League. Uh, the only player with more overall was Sandy Alcantara. But, you know, he he plays fantastic defense, won his 10th gold glove. I don't I, – I honestly think Key Brian Hayes should have gotten that gold glove. But still, he won his 10th gold glove, you know, 30 homers again, 891 OPS. Machado, though, I, I'm going to agree, uh, Splash, that, you know, his impact on the Padres was much greater. And, you know, I remember that first year he was in San Diego, people wondered about that contract. You know, 10 years, $300 million, is he going to be worth it? I think these last three seasons, he's proven that he's worth every penny of that contract, especially this year, leading the Padres to their first full-season playoff spot since 2006. You know, he he's the middle of the order bad. He can he can hit homers, he can hit for average, he can run a little bit and play great defense. So I I understand Arnado may have been a little better defensively, but as an overall player, I'm taking Machado. Machado is my pick here too, and it's for mostly the same reasons. What he did in San Diego was really incredible. Honestly, and the only reason why he did not win the MVP is because some guy named Paul Goldschmidt decided to have one of the best first baseman seasons of all time. So with that being said on it, Machado is my pick because he has done a fantastic job of leading this team to the postseason. And offensively wise, I mean, I can't really find too much of a flaw with him. Look at what he had. He had a very strong 6.8 war, 100 Runs scored 102 RBIs here and an OPS of just under 900. In fact, an OPS plus of just under 160. Watching him play defensively, he's strong. Offensively, he's very, very good. And like you said earlier, he's bringing up these really good numbers, including 32 home runs in Petco Park, which we all know is really hard to hit. Uh, home runs in or just even get even big hits from. So honestly, Manny, I think it's. It's it's definitely tough because there are a lot of really good names for this. Guys like Nolan Arenado that put together a pretty strong year. Jose Ramirez, who really helped lead the uh, Cleveland Guardians to a very to one of the best seasons of the season that no one thought they were going to have. And I mean, Devers even hit just below three hundred, just below three hundred, so an OPS of eight seventy nine. Austin Riley had himself a stellar year, hitting nearly forty home runs, but. Among all of them, Manny Machado also was the second in the MVP voting right behind one Goldschmidt. So I'm going with Manny Machado. So now moving on to, to DH. This one's a little bit interesting, but in my in my mind, it's a pretty slam dunk pick. Guys, who do we think here for the designated hitter position? It's It has to be Jordan Alvarez, in my opinion. You know, well, I understand Shohei Otani had a great season. Uh, this we are voting on just offense alone here, and in 135 games, uh, Jordan put up 6.8 baseball reference WAR, hit 37 homers, had an OPS upwards of a, of a thousand. If he doesn't get, you know, he if he doesn't hurt his hand, I'm sure those numbers are much better. Uh, he, he even 
you know, with the p- positional adjustment for war of being a DH and barely playing the field, he's probably the most valuable player on the Astros. He got third in MVP voting. Uh, he's just in terms of pure hitting, he's one of the best uh, on the planet. So Alvarez, I think is a slam dunk dunk pick here. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you here, Mac. I do want to throw out Mr. Albert Pujols, who had a, a great season, a great little like fever dream of a um, August, September. So if it was nationally only, I would pick Albert Pujols. But Jordan, your ding dong, phenomenal season, you know, came through and it felt like every clutch moment, regular season or postseason, mashed 37 home runs, even stole a base. 306 batting average, which you don't expect from a slugger. You expect like 230 and 400 on base is insane. 600 slug elite. Um, he matched Aaron Judge on the uh, like barrels and hard hit rate, exit velocity, like that sort of deal. Alvarez was had a tremendous season and it's a big, a big win for those that, you know, didn't sell a stock after he missed a lot of time um, with injuries that last few seasons but stellar player and very deserving of the dh spot when a dh is third in the al mvp voting i think that says a lot about what he brings to the position itself i mean i'm always gonna love dhs just because again as a Seattle manor guy we had in my opinion still the best dh in edgar martinez but i mean looking at Jordan's numbers it's Honestly, insane here. Get 37 home runs, an OPS of 1019, and what an OPS plus of 187. I mean, come on. The dude even did play a little bit of left field, but I mean, he's a DH through and through. That's what he is. He even cut down a good bit on his strikeout numbers, where in 2021, in about the same amount of games, or just 11 more, he cut down on his strikeouts by almost 40, which is pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. The main question will always be with him will be his health. But if he stays healthy, he is one of the best players in baseball. The fact that he's only 25 right now, I think it's scary for the rest of baseball itself. The fact that he's going to continue mashing more and more and more as long as he stays healthy from it. But, I mean, yeah, no disrespect, of course, to Shohei Otani. And, of course, no disrespect to the man, the myth, the legend, Daniel Vogelbach. But, no, it, it's your dog by a mile here. Moving on now to the outfield spots. This one, we each get to pick three for this. And I think, I mean, the first one I think is about as obvious as any of them to everyone. Can we just say Aaron Judge obviously is the number one? Like, I don't yeah, think there's no. anyone else. Yeah. Do, I, do we even yeah. need to talk about that one? An OPS of no, 1111. No. One, one, one. Yeah, yeah. I heard he's. No, Aaron Judge doesn't also. deserve to be here. Um, yeah. He struck out too many times. He was a coward and didn't play right field. Obviously, right field's the hardest defensive position. Clearly doesn't deserve it. He hit too many yeah, home runs. Yeah, uh, no. You know, we we apply ourselves to the 1920, the 1922 rules of baseball instead of the 2022. So if you hit home runs, you're a loser. Uh, mm-hmm. Aaron Judge, not my home run champion. Yeah. Clearly joking. Please, please. <laughs> slash Everyone, R. Please cop. Please like. Please clip that and use that against Splash for the rest of his life uh, to disavow. No, I'm kidding. I mean, obviously, obviously it's Judge. MVP, Triple Crown winner, 
one of the best hitting seasons we've ever seen. All right, he didn't win the triple crown, but yeah, but, yeah, he should have though. <laughs> he, yeah. he was damn close, but yeah, no, I say it because it's like it was close enough. Anyway, you're right. I'm wrong. Please cut, clip that and use that against me for the rest of my life. So that I will always be disavowed. Anyway. The other two is where it gets a little bit more interesting here. And even though we lost a good bit of time, I still think that Mike Trout deserves to be in this position of getting 40 home runs, 80 RBIs, and still an OPS of just under 1,000. I mean, is there any real debate on that one as well? The biggest question people have with that is that he didn't play the entire season. But that almost works to his advantage a little bit for the fact he still hit 40 homers in that time. It still hit more RBI, it's not more RBIs than almost all outfielders. So what do you guys think on that one? I, yeah, I, I voted for Trout. Uh, you know, that's also awesome. He had 6.3 war despite playing only uh, 119 games. Uh, plus the the 40 homers. Like, I, I feel like people almost didn't realize how great of a season he was having because he got hurt. And I, I, I can't look past that. I mean, 40 homers, 119 games, that puts him on pace for uh hang on let me do quick math right here uh 119 like 54 on the nose almost yeah for yeah for 54 so uh that that's just i i can't look past that so and also he's on pace for about i believe eight or so wins above replacement so i think he did enough yeah, he, he's my second outfielder. You know, the 40 homers, the rate stats are out the wazoo. 630 slug, who does that? 999 OPS. You know, that would finish third in the league behind Judge and Alvarez, but that's a 999 OPS. That's just insanity. Um, just another stellar year from Trout. It, it sucks that he missed 43 games. I wish nothing more than 162 game seasons for Trout the rest of his career because he's just that dominant of a player. But 6.3 baseball reference war speaks for itself. Um, 40 home runs, 80 RBI. Um, he didn't walk as much as normal Trout, only at 54 walks on pace for about 80 or so. Um, but it's still a dominant, dominant season for Mike Trout. Yeah, it's really not even close at that point. So I think with him, it gets a little bit more interesting with the third one. I think we may have some different answers. I know that Mac and I have the same one. I'm not sure on Splash for this one. But for the third outfielder, I am taking my homer pick, and I'm going with Julio Rodriguez. I think that Julio, for that third outfield spot, it makes sense. Looking at what he has done over the course of this season has been absolutely phenomenal. Again, having a 6.2 war as a rookie, a batting average of 284, even getting 25 stolen bases along with 28 home runs. And had he not missed a little bit of the season, then we may be looking at a 30-30 guy. And on top of it, we got to remember that all of these stats, basically all of these stats happened after the month of April because he had an absolutely abysmal month of April. But after that, he just kept going and did not look back. I think right now, I I know people are going to call me a homer for it, but I think Julio has that third outfielder spot. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I, you know, give me a five tool player like uh, Julio Rodriguez. And I mean, he, he could bat basically anywhere in the batting order, bat lead off. He can bat in the two spot. He can bat clean up. He can bat anywhere. And he plays great, plays good defense. 
steals bases, hits for power. Yeah, give me Julio Rodriguez. So I will be the contrarian here, and I'm going to go back into that well that I used with Swanson and Machado that sometimes the the stats themselves matter, right, with, with Judge and with Goldschmidt, right, that they have these superhuman seasons. But to me, when the stats are really close, you have to look under the hood. And when I look under the hood in a Julio versus Betts versus Soto versus Tucker, who I think Tucker, if you're voting after the playoffs, I think Tucker definitely deserves to be in there, but that's not the, not the point, but I'm going to go with one Michael Harris because what he meant to the Braves. And then you throw in, he had a great season, a great rookie season, one nationally rookie of the year. Um, And he was, you know, right there with Julio with a lot of the rate stats, steals a lot of bases, great defensive center fielder, um, and what he brought to the Braves in terms of extending the lineup, um, giving them a chance, you know, giving them a chance, playing center field, helping out Adam Duvall, get, letting Duvall move over to left where he played a lot better and just, you know, playing elite defense night in, night out, being an elite base runner night in, night out, and being able to put the ball in play in a lineup that sometimes had issues putting the ball in play. You know, Harris batted 297, even with a cold September, slugged over 500. You know, he had a slugging percentage that's four points lower than Pete Alonso, and Pete Alonso hit 40 home runs. Let that sink in. He had a higher slugging percentage than Freddie Freeman, and Freddie Freeman gets helped out because he batted 325. Michael Harris... I think he's a superstar and I would take him with my third spot here. And that's very fair because I think at this point right now, he, he played exceptionally well. And especially if your value of things like defense on it, I think it really works well in his favor. So let's move on now to our starting pitchers here for this one. We're going to go a little bit differently. We're just going to say all five of our starting pitchers and then talk a little bit about why we selected those five, just because we want to make sure we get the time for the other things we want to talk about. On today's show, I'll just go first on this one. For my starting pitchers, I have Sandy Alcantara, I have Justin Verlander, Shohei Otani, Zach Gallen, and Dylan Sheesh, as they said on the, uh, just in general, a lot of places say that nowadays. I was going to say just the MLB, the show live streams, but a lot of people say it now. Anyway, all of these pitchers have one thing in common, really low ERAs and have had amazing seasons. I mean, the top two, are the Cy Young Award winners. So obviously, how can you not have both of them? And then add just a little bit extra on top of it. Dylan Sheets had uh, she's had himself a great year and Gallant as well. Otani, I really wanted to put him in here because he did pitch a pretty darn solid year overall. And I wanted to add in a little bit. I because I feel like he deserves to be on this team somewhere, but it wasn't going to be at DH because Jordan held that one with an iron fist. So I think it works well to have him here for my starting five. Yeah. To follow you up, Alex, I have the exact same five um, and I'll add a piece on Otani. It's sort of like the Micah Parsons role in the NFL that Parsons plays both edge and linebacker at such a high level that, you know, he needs to be in the all pro team, but is he going to be, is he a top two edge? Maybe, maybe not this year. Yes. But is he a top two linebacker? Eh, Maybe, maybe not, but he's a top 11 defensive player. And I think Otani is the same thing that if you're making an all MLB team, at what point do you just add a, another position like a a utility or a flex or, 
some sort of deal just so you can have a, a, a fail safe for Otani because there probably will be seasons like this that Otani is the um, maybe not as good of a pitcher. Let's say he takes one step down and he goes from like how he how well he pitched to say like a Aaron Nola level or a Zach Wheeler level this season, for example. He's still worthy of being in the all MOB team because he was a great hitter and a really good pitcher. But this year he was just phenomenal. He was arguably better on the mound than at the plate, which is saying a lot because he had such a great season last year. But again, I would go Alcantara, Cease, Gallon, Otani, Verlander. Um, you know, I passed over Arias and Freed, who finished second and third or third and second, respectively, in the NL Cy Young, passed over Alec Minot in the AL. I'm cool with that. I, I think Otani deserved to be higher. I think Gallon deserved to be higher. And Dylan Cease was a finalist. Anyways. So, yeah, I have four of the five guys you both mentioned. The one difference I have is I picked Urias over Gallon, uh, partially because he has a larger body of work and he has a lower ERA. Uh, obviously, the I feel like the other four are slam dunks. I mean, Sandy Alcantara, six complete games, I feel like is unheard of these days. Uh, Dylan Cease was fantastic. He he had a ridiculous stretch where he allowed like four runs in uh, in like two months or something like that. It, it was something wild like that. Otani was uh, while his offense maybe took like a small step step back, he was um, outstanding on the mound. And of course, Justin Verlander when he's third Cy Young. And I uh, look forward to see uh, to seeing what type of contract he gets as he enters his age forty season next year. Yeah, fair enough. I think there's a lot of good options overall here for, but I'm glad we at least were able to agree on at least four of the five. I think that shows just how strong those four are. Then moving on now to the last two positions to talk about here, we have the two relief pitcher slots. So for me personally, there is one name that is just the ultimate slam dunk and that is mr trumpet man himself and edwin diaz and then emmanuel classe i was looking at a few different names here but classe is the one that um after a little bit of coaxing into by the other two members of this podcast i definitely did go to it for good reason i mean do you guys have any other names besides these two i know it has I'm to be these two diaz yeah classe yeah, the only one that I considered maybe over Classe was Ryan Helsley, but I think overall Classe just had a more complete year. Uh, I, I saves, I don't know how much people value saves anymore, but uh, Classe did lead uh, in saves. So, yeah, 42 saves is kind of a big deal now. And uh, obviously, Edwin Diaz is Edwin Diaz. I mean, there's a reason why he got paid $102 million this offseason. Hey, and if we're talking about saves, the National League, the National League lead, the National League leader in saves, Kenley Jansen. But yeah, it's definitely a Colossae and Diaz. And this is um, this is a year that very easy, very cut and dry. Um, I think it's a conversation between which two they they achieve the same elite results two different ways. Diaz, of course, super high strikeouts, Colossae. There was like a 102 mile per hour cutter and you just can't make solid contact on it. Doesn't miss quite as many bats, but the Cleveland vacuum cleaners will clean that up in the infield. So same sort of <laughs> results, just different way to get to them, but phenomenal season from both players. Definitely. So those are our uh, losses above replacement 
all MLB teams. Do you have any disagreements? Let us know on Twitter. You can get our Twitter handles at the end of the show. Now let's move on to a little bit of baseball news. We've been wanting to talk about this one for a little bit, but we had to take a little bit of a break, but that's okay. We're still going to talk about it now. We're going to talk about Teoscar Hernandez is the newest member, one of the newest members, shall I say, of the Seattle Mariners after a trade made from Mr. Trader Jerry DePoto, trading away uh, two pitchers to the Blue Jays for the power-hitting outfielder Hernandez. The Mariners traded away reliever Eric Swanson and left-handed pitching prospect Adam Mako. And this was such a weird trade because when it happened, I think a lot of people were saying that the Mariners absolutely fleeced the Blue Jays for Teoscar, and I'm not so sure how much I fully believe in that. I do think that the Mariners did very much win this trade or will end up winning this trade overall. But before I go on my monologue about this, I want to get your guys' takes here. Do you think that the Mariners paid a strong amount? Do you think they overpaid, underpaid? What do you think about this trade for Teoscar Hernandez? I think this is exactly what you need to do if you're the Seattle Mariners and you um, the cliche is to make an omelet, you have to break some eggs. So you have resources on your roster and you are going to package those resources to get a established commodity into Oscar Hernandez of who is going to play a corner outfield spot. So you don't worry as much with the depreciation. He has 20 plus home runs in the last four full seasons and he had 16 in the 2020 season. He's has a career 121 OPS plus um, also a former Astro. So shout out to the Astros um, 146 OPS plus in the COVID season, 131 last year, 127 this year. Um, part of that, it helps playing not in Toronto as opposed to in Buffalo, but either way received MVP votes in 2020 received MVP votes and was an all-star in 2021 was the silver slugger both years. Um, and he's just been a, a great all around hitter um, batted around 290 in 2020 and 2021 has slugged around 500, if not over 500, a slight downturn in his production this year, but I believe he dealt with injuries. He missed 30 games of the season, but he's a guy that's going to give you a hit per game is going to pour in, you know, 25, 30, 35 doubles is going to pour in 25 home runs, just another bat to extend that lineup. And that's, that's important getting extra outfield bats because you know, you know, center field is going to be locked down for the next 15 years. Right. So getting that extra production from a corner outfield bat and turning some of those extraneous resources within the organization into a player that you, that has an established track record that you can say, Hey, he has played in playoff games with the Blue Jays. Not many, but he has played in playoff games with the Blue Jays. He has hit in big spots for them. He had a 30 homer season. He had a 26 homer season. He was great during the pandemic season and very good player. Yeah, I I like this pickup a lot. You know, that's the thing is I, Hernandez did get hurt at the beginning of the year, and he also struggled really mightily in the month of May. Uh, but after June 1st, I mean, an 867 OPS the rest of the year. That's basically in line with what he was doing before. Uh, he he also runs pretty well, and I'm curious to see if he steals more bases with the new rules coming in next year. Uh, so he he can run, he can hit. He's not much of a fielder, but, I mean, he is a corner outfielder, and there is a chance the Mariners don't bring back Mitch Hanager. So I think, you know, he's, he's a viable replacement. You know, you can bat him 
three or four in the lineup and he he'll do damage for you. I think he'll have a better overall season next year. I understand that Eric Swanson was really good this year at 1.68 ERA, but you got to remember that before 2021, he was basically an afterthought on the roster, a 5.74 ERA in 2019. Uh, so while I don't think that I'm not saying Swanson's going to be bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't know if he can replicate what he did last year. And Adam Mako, I mean, he has good stuff too, but his biggest issue is the walks. So I don't know when Adam Mako is going to be ready to pitch in the majors. I'll also shout out. He was born in Slovakia, uh, but uh, yeah, born in Bratislava. But I, I, I think that this is a win for the Mariners. I think the Blue Jays get a, get a decent bullpen arm, but, and yes, they do free up some salary space, but I think Seattle just gets the better end of it. So I feel like this trade overall is a high risk type of trade for the Blue Jays, but it's also one that you're going to see a lot of in baseball of trading from a position of strength to, uh, to help out a position of weakness. And that's what it was for both teams. The Mariners, one of the best things they had this year was their bullpen. And trading away from that bullpen with Eric Swanson to then try and get a little bit of outfield help, where right now the outfield is in a bit of a flux right now, especially in right field. It makes perfect sense to try and get a guy like Tay Oscar and get as a trade away a guy like Swanson. Mako, yeah, he needs help. He needs help with the walks. He's also uh, never pitched anything above a plus ball, basically. Uh, he's pitching right now. As I pitch in the fall league right now for the Peoria team, but even then he has an ERA of six point oh eight, like a career right now ERA at this moment at least of three point nine eight overall. One thing I want to bring in when it comes to Eric Swanson, though, and this is one thing that I think gets a little bit lost. Swanson had himself an incredible. 2022 he was very much one of the main reasons why seattle had one of the best bullpens in baseball he was part of the los bomberos uh pitching right now he had a 1.68 era but one thing that's interesting is that on this season he had a career he had a war of 1.8 which you know that's pretty darn good for you know a middle reliever that's that's solid his career war now is at an even one that's even with this 1.8 season, he started out this season with a career negative 0.8 war. There's some bits to be worried about here when it comes to Swanson. Yes, he did sol- pre- or is it, he did a solid in 2021, amazing in 2022, but is it a flash in the pan? We don't know. Because back in 2019, he also started a good few games here, four CL started eight games, played in 27 of them, but had an ERA of 5.74. And then in 2020, excuse me, in nine games, had an ERA of nearly 13. So now I hope he does well because I like seeing Mariners succeed in other places. But this is a bit of a higher risk trade here for the Blue Jays. They really needed a bullpen help. They got some good bullpen guys in there, but... You've got to try and solidify it a little bit. And it was going to cost him a little bit, as now seen as Teoscar Hernandez, one of their more premier hitters, is now in Seattle. And for Seattle, I think this is a huge pickup because you already have that strong bullpen. You've already got guys like, uh, excuse me, like uh, Munoz. You've already got Paul Seawald. You've got guys like Diego Castillo who are starting to figure out again. Please figure out it out again, Diego Castillo. But then you have now an outfield that 
it, if I could just picture this for a second, in left field having Sam Haggerty, who defensively was one of the most electrifying outfielders. If anyone ever watched the plays that he made, he made spectacular catches on the regular. And then on top of it, just while like while he was hitting, was a pretty solid contact hitter, and then one of the most ballsy base base stealers I've ever seen. And I love it. I love that moxie the kid has. And then, of course, having you know some guy named Julio in center field, who is going to be there for the next checks notes decade and a half. And then in right field, now you have Tay Oscar, who's also got some good speed to it. Maybe not the best defender, but a really good hitter nonetheless. And now you have three guys out there with pretty darn good speed that can cover a lot of ground pretty quickly. I think Seattle really just filled out one of the biggest holes. And even if they like, and even if they need Teoscar to have a day off, hey, Seattle, please bring back Mitch Hanniger. Please re-sign Mitch Hanniger. I think that's going to make things a lot easier overall. Is if you platoon out uh Teoscar Hernandez and Mitch Hanniger, not even so much playing righty lefty. More so just when one guy needs a break from playing the field, they go play DH. Just go and do something like that because most of your infielders are going to be playing um, their field of positions anyway. The only thing that's close to a liability overall, you could say, is Eugenio Eugenio Suarez. But even then, he really showed up his defense this year. That was shown time and time again. So I think overall with this trade, Seattle is going to benefit the most out of it, especially if Tay Oscar really pans out the way he does. But if Swanson continues to pitch the way that he has in 2022, he is going to become a stellar arm that will be a great setup man for Romano or potentially even take Romano's spot. So with that being said here, I think Seattle definitely got the upper hand. I'm very, and as a Mariner fan, I am extremely excited to see Teoscar Hernandez come out on opening day. I just got my tickets for opening day. Hooray. Anyway, moving on now to our second to last thing for the day. The 2023 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot has been announced. We're not going to go through all of our picks yet. There's a lot of time left before that's going to be the case. But we wanted to at least take a note of some of the notable people on it. One of the things that's, in my opinion, kind of the most notable this is one of the first years that we're seeing final year. I was like, uh, we're only seeing one person with a final year on the main ballot, and that is one Jeff Kent here. But we have a bunch of names here that it's their first time on the list, such guys like K-Rod. We have guys like Lackey and Napoli, Abrazzo Arroyo, and there's, there's one more name I'm really forgetting. What, uh, Mac, you were talking to me about this one earlier. What's uh, so, some belt, belt, Beltron? <laughs> No, it's there's a lot of interesting names that are here. Guys, let's talk a little bit about some of the interesting people. And are there anyone, is there anyone here that kind of stands out the most to you? Um, the main takeaway I have from this group is one, I'm old because all of these players are MLB Power Pros legends, like every single one on the ballot. And it just like gets them uh, with the there's one exception. Actually, no, there's no exceptions. Everyone, yeah, everyone's in there. So you look at this and it's it starts eating up on you how recent it is that I, I started watching baseball in 2006 and all these guys have had had their full career since I started watching baseball. Most of them had their full career since I started watching baseball, which is wild. But it, it stands out to me how bleh it is sometimes when you don't have that surefire, no doubt Hall of Famer. We've had plenty of those sure 
fire, no doubt Hall of Famers in recent years. The Griffies, the Chippers, the the big three for Atlanta, the the big three Atlanta Braves, um, and you get Jeters and Marianos and like these guys just come trickling through and it just feels like, oh, well, there's going to be, you know, a couple guys that are slam dunks and then it's just kind of cannon fodder a little bit. Um, and this year it's Carlos Beltran, who if you think of him as a cheater because of the Astros, then he might not be on your ballot. And he's a guy that is a borderline Hall of Famer. If you just look at the metrics, the wars, the jaws, the war sevens, um, you know, Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame S is 50 for an average Hall of Famer. He's 52. The Hall of Fame monitor is 100 for an average Hall of Famer. He's a 126. So he's, you know, right around that cusp. And it could be that there's a penalty for him being associated with the 2017 Astros. And he gets knocked down a little bit and misses the ballot or it takes him a while to get into the Hall of Fame. And then beyond that, John Lackey is second in this group in war. I'm using baseball reference war. So it's just a weird group. Like I have emotional attachments to a lot of these guys because they were my childhood, but like, is Matt Kane a hall of famer? Probably not. Can you write the history of baseball without Matt Kane? I don't know. He had a pretty nice, perfect game against the Astros, but such a weird, a weird group of players. Yeah, And really in uh, today, uh, Tyler Kepner of the New York times put up probably you know, it's it's probably my favorite uh, column every year, which is you know acknowledging all the guys who are on the Hall of Fame ballot but won't get in. Uh, you got guys like John Lackey, uh, Jared Jared Weaver. Uh, they were rotation mates uh, in in Anaheim and both had their years where they were Cy Young candidates. Uh, Weaver, I believe, finished as high as second uh, behind Justin Verlander. He was top five a couple times. Lackey led the AL in ERA in 07. I saw him start a game at the big A and it was electric watching him pitch. Uh, Matt Kane threw that perfect game. He also started an all-star game. Uh, Jacoby Ellsbury uh, had the first 30, 30 season by Boston Red Sox. Uh, Johnny Peralta was pretty good, although he had the biogenesis thing, but and they pointed out that uh, Johnny Peralta was on three, uh, three teams that defeated the Yankees in the playoffs, the 07, 07 with Cleveland and then 11 and 12 with the Tigers. Uh, you know, you got R.A. Dickey, who won a Cy Young as a, a knuckleballer. Francisco Rodriguez, who set the single-season saves record with 62 before he kind of fell off. Uh, Houston Street, I think, was a uh, super underrated uh, reliever. 324 saves and a 295 ERA. But the only, I, I think, by far the best candidate here is Carlos Beltran. I am concerned that the cheating scandal is going to hurt his case because he was the only player directly named in, in the report and he had to resign from his position with the Mets as the manager. But you look at all the numbers I mean, four to 35 homers and 312 steals, eight thirty seven OPS. I great, great fielder too. some gold gloves in there. I think he should be a hall of famer. Will the will the voters hold that whole thing against him? Who knows? But in my book, Carlos Beltran is deserving of one of those 10 votes uh, each writer can get. So if I'm looking at this ballot, it's Beltran by far and away. Second closest is maybe Francisco Rodriguez. But really, I don't really – there are not a ton of great candidates for the Hall of Fame this year. 
this is one of those years that's going to be really interesting overall. And I think it's, it comes down to the idea of just because you have 10 votes doesn't mean you have to use them, but that also doesn't mean that you shouldn't use them. That means that you, you decide the writers get to decide who they want to see in there. And that's becomes a, a good thing, but also a problem. It's just weird. And with a class like this, that is just so I'm going to be, I'm going to go out and say it a bit lackluster. Overall, it's definitely lacking in star power here. Uh, and... You mean lackey luster? No. No, I do not, Splash. I was going to say you, that, but, no, but Splash, beat me, Splash beat me to it. John lackey luster. There we go. Um, <laughs> thank you. That was actually good. I like. appreciate that. But um, there's really not a whole lot of names here. A lot of the names that are like these slam dunk ones are the ones that we would say like, oh, yeah, definitely. It's these people. A lot of them have more baggage to them, and it's then becomes: Do they have enough still positive rapport in order to make the Hall of Fame? I have a feeling that there's not going to be someone that is going to be elected this year because of that. I think Bel- you're right that Beltron, when you're looking at the metrics, is what is probably the closest to a surefire. But even then, it's still you have this that scandal that's still looming over him. So can, can I can I put this out there though that uh and I, I'll I'll say this that that scandal was the last year of his career. Literally, he he was never mentioned in any steroid reports. You know, he, he literally had a six like a I believe it was a six sixty-six OPS the last year of his career, but he's mentioned in that report. And so, you know, because of that, it's tarnished his reputation. I don't think that should affect his case, but man, I am very concerned that it will. I think it's oh. going to. Yeah, I, I think, think so too. To. And I, you guys know that I fall on the the side of baseball players should be in the Hall of Fame. Like they're off the field stuff. Who cares at a certain point? Like steroids, whatever. But like I would have voted for Bonds, Clemens, those guys. Um, I'm more than happy if I had to vote. I'd be more than happy to vote for Beltron. But I do think the public persona um, can really drive down some candidates. That's going to happen. Again, with the likes of Omar Vizquel on the main ballot, even Tory Hunter has some weird stuff. Andrew Jones has some weird stuff. Uh, Manny Ramirez has steroid implications. Gary Sheffield has steroid implications. Andy Pettit has steroid implications. Um, and I think it's, I I generally lean with the, are they a, are they a Hall of Fame baseball player? Because there's plenty of terrible people in all of the sports Hall of Fames. There's plenty of great people that never were Hall of Fame caliber players. You know, there's they're a Hall of Fame person, but not a Hall of Fame player. That's that's okay. You can be in that group. And it's at least for the sake of the Hall of Fame, I think it's okay to have Hall of Fame players that aren't great people. Yeah, and it isn't isn't even so much about being a great person though, but I will go on and say that I was, I'm a person that would not put in bonds or something like that, because my problem with it is the fact that it's going against the rules, knowing that the rules are there. And that is something that's, I will stand by just because at that point, then it is affecting the game. It is affecting the integrity of the game overall. Yes, that was just as last year, but you're still part of it. And I do, I, would I put them on my ballot? No. And it's because of that. and But I'm also the kind of person that probably wouldn't vote for a full 10 people. I probably would vote for at least a good chunk of it. I'll try to get close to 10. But unless I feel like there are 10 full ones, then no. So this uh, this is com- 
what I was trying to say beforehand uh, when you brought that up, Mac, is that I have a feeling this could be one of those classes that no one gets in again. And that's going to be a really sad thing to see because I want to see baseball players in the Hall of Fame. And it's also going to be interesting to see because, again, a guy like Jeff Kent, this is his final year on the ballot. So we'll talk more about the Hall of Fame stuff a little bit uh when it gets a little closer to actual ballot season, we just wanted to go over the main bit here and talk about some of the more interesting names. So we're going to move on now to our final segment of the day, as it is our trivia segment. We'd like to end every podcast with a little bit of trivia. And while I will be taking over most of the trivia duties going on forward, there is one more that we have to especially requested by Ryan Splash Pots to lead. So my man, take it away. All right, folks, uh, Alex, Mac, today we're going to play a game to start. Uh, first, Alex, I would like you to pick heads or tails. Heads. All right. Flip a coin. Flip a coin. All right. It is tails, Mac. You get to either choose if you'd like to go first or second or if you'd like the American League or the National League. So you can pick either the league or placement or your order. Uh, I'll just go first. Okay. Alex, you may pick American League or National League. Uh, I'll pick American League. All right. So the name of the game today is naming the 23 American Leaguers that received MVP votes this season. Mac, you will go first. The first person to 12 points grabs the W. Are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Mac, you shall begin. Uh, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is correct. All right. Uh, Shohei Otani. Uh, Shohei Otani is correct. Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez is correct. Xander Bogarts. Uh, Xander Bogarts is correct. It is 2 2. What? Okay. Uh, Raphael Devers. Rafi Devers is correct. Um, okay. Because now, now that we've gotten through the top three, now it actually gets a little bit, a little bit different. Um, let's go with, hmm. Uh, let's go Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, Vladdy Jr. is correct. 3 3. What? Uh, Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander is correct. Uh, hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now it gets a little bit. Do we have like a three strike system? Uh, I'm I'm saying first to twelve. Okay. So uh, if, you, if you both keep missing, <laughs> that's more power yeah. to you. Fair enough. Uh, Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez is correct. Four four. Uh, I, I I was looking at the ballot uh, like two hours ago, so I remember down ballot one, Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy is correct. All right. Um, let's see here. Let's go with. Hmm. Yeah. Now it gets now it gets um Jose Altuve. Altuve is correct. Five five. Oh man, this is this is where it gets tough. I feel like. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, man. Ah. This is all of a sudden difficult. Uh so we're at five five, right? Yes. 
Uh, Julio Rodriguez. Correct. Julio is correct. Oh, nice. Um, Andres Jimenez. Jimenez is correct. Six nice. all. What the heck? Uh, this is uh, this is tough. Yeah. I've got a few more names I'm working with. Uh, and so it's clear what I'm also doing. I'm not like looking up anything, but I definitely have just like a list of players in front of me. <laughs> not, uh, none of that, not like the votes or anything. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to guess, I think this is kind of a long shot, but uh, Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa is correct. Nice. Let's go. Um, I'm going to say Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is incorrect. No. Nope. Seven to six Mac. All right. Oh, uh, I got to think of players. Uh, Mike Trout. Mike Trout is correct. How, yes. did, how did neither of us say Mike Trout? Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised that it took us this long to get to Mike Trout. I was about to say, I'm like, how? How did we not say Trout? Um. Okay. Stephen Kwan, why not? Stephen Kwan is incorrect. Mac leads eight to six. Uh, okay. So I, I'm in the lead eight to six. I, I'm trying to think of more. Man, this, yeah, this is, uh, this is a, a tougher, tougher segment than I thought. Um, there's always like the weird, like down ballot vote getters. Um, I am going to go with Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease is correct. Let's go. That's actually where I was going to go next with Cease. Um, hmm. Yeah, I really don't know anymore. Um, You know, I, I'm going to throw this one out because I have no idea. I'm going to say uh, Class A. Emmanuel Class A is incorrect. Yeah. Nine to six, Mac. Alex, you may concede if you wish. I, I'll, I'll see if he gets one more. If he gets this one right now, I will concede. Okay. All right. Um, this is, uh, all right. Where, where are we at now? All right. So we've eight are... remaining. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember like who had good seasons this year. Also, um, uh, I'll go with man. Oh, I'm 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 trying to remember. I like also like, like you know I'll 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 take a shot. Uh, Corey Seager. Corey Seager is incorrect. Yeah, I had a feeling that was incorrect. Right. I've got one, and I'm surprised I didn't guess this until now. Uh, Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette is correct. Ah, Nine seven. I'm surprised I didn't guess that, honestly. Alex is back in the game. Alex is back in the game. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. Oh, uh, let me see here. Oh, what about uh man, this is uh, it's difficult. Uh Shane McClanahan. Why not? Shane McClanahan is incorrect. Ah 
Alex. All right. Another stab in the dark here. Have we said Luisa Reyes yet? Lu- Luisa Reyes is correct. What? Nice. Nine to eight. Oh, my God. All right. So there's uh, six to left. Quote the, to quote Peyton Manning, epic comeback starts right here. <laughs> um, uh, Framber Valdez. Framber Valdez is correct. Let's go. Nice. <laughs> okay. Mac has a magic number of two. <laughs> um yeah because now now the other names i've been like kind of like just like looking at are completely gone <laughs> uh yeah now now is when it really gets tough um five players left only in the american league yes um and none of them were traded mid-season None were traded midseason. Yeah, all of them. They, I can't necessarily say they started the year with that team, but they were all. They have been in the same organization all season. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I'm gonna throw out an odd one here. Probably gonna be wrong. Curious. Uh, Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez is incorrect. Yeah. Yeah. All Mike, right. Your turn. Um. Okay. So my magic number is what? One. It's two. You have to get two, two of the last five to clinch. Okay. Um, Although if you get one, wait. then you force Alex to get the other four. So. Wait. How many? Are, wait. There's five left. Yeah. Five left. You lead ten to eight. You need two to clinch. Um. Okay. Ah. All right. Okay. I man, this uh... trying to think like who could who could have gotten like a down ballot vote. Uh I will go with man. Uh I'll 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 go with a a long shot, but uh, Byron Buxton. Uh, Byron Buxton is incorrect. Alex, yeah, back to you. Figured. If you guys okay. want to hint, I can confirm they all played Major League Baseball this season. All right, Whoa! thank you. That's very um, very encouraging. Good, great hint. I, I top, top ten out of ten. All right, we're going Adley. Adley is correct. It is ten nine. I had what? a feeling he was gonna get. Yeah, I just had a feeling he was gonna get one of them. Yeah, he was the highest. He was the highest ranked player left. Well, all right. Well, that makes things difficult. Um, well, to be fair, he was number twelve. But yeah, yeah. That's that. Now, now it's only down ballot guys. Uh, okay. Well, uh, another hint. They all played at least one hundred thirty games. They all played at least one hundred thirty games. All right. Uh, so they're all position players. That means that would be correct. Okay. All right. I'll take a. I'll take a stab at it. Uh, Alex Bregman. Alex Bregman is correct. Yes. Let's go. Nine. I will give another hint that won't help anyone. Uh, one of them shares a last name with my mom's favorite player, ever. That does not help us at all. Actually, yeah. Um. Yeah, at this point right now, one well, we're way over time, but also I have no <laughs> idea. I'm gonna say to Oscar Hernandez. 
Teoscar Hernandez is incorrect. Mac, you have a chance right. to clinch. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of like, uh, man, the, 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 your mom's favorite player is throwing me off because I'm trying to remember thinking like who could like, who, who I don't know could have I've been playing back him. then. I don't know if you, I've ever mentioned him on a show. <laughs> yeah. I, so you've not, I'm going to take it. So. Yeah, um, uh, I will give another hint. Uh, I have once screwed this player's name up on an, on the once, podcast. Once screwed this player's name up on a podcast. What? On this podcast, yes. Oh, how? Um. Uh, is there like? Oh, oh my god. Uh. Emmanuel Classe. That it would be incorrect. Classe. Yeah, wait, that doesn't make any sense. I said Classe. Yeah, yeah, I also just realized because he said 130 plus games. So, yes. All right, Clearly I'm Classe pitched blew, blew every my single chance game there. for the Guardians. <laughs> Honestly, the... I don't. I'm not sure if either of us are going to get the last ones. Are we uh, conceding? Matt, I'm not to concede it to you, Matt, because I have no idea. All right. Congratulations to Mac. He wins 11 to 9. Uh, the remaining right. players, uh, I once called him Justin. His name is Kyle Tucker. Um, oh, yes. Former American League MVP I award winner, Jose Abreu. And uh, not related at all to my mom's favorite player of all time, Matt Diaz, won Yandi Diaz. Yandy Diaz got an MVP vote. 400 on base this year. Yeah, I okay. Oh my god. All right, well, that's good to know. And fun fact Daniel Bard received a ninth place. Yeah, yes, he did. And uh, Edwin Diaz got a vote too. Yeah, two. Uh, Yeah, two tenths. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for the trivia there, Splash. But that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in today. You can make sure to follow me on Twitter at TheSportsGuy242. Go follow um, Mac at Matthias underscore A underscore K. And then you can go follow Splash at Mr. Splashman19. But thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Alex at 4, Mac, and Splash. I want to thank you all for coming in and gracing your ears with the best baseball podcast out there. Losses is my replacement. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, and I hope to see you all real soon.